Welcome to Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart. This week, we are exploring the journey of Dr. Suzanne Katz. Suzanne is a drama lead teacher at Two Rivers Public Charter School in Washington, D.C., and a research consultant with the Education Research Division of the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. Suzanne holds a doctorate in curriculum and instruction from UNLV. On the previous two episodes, we met Suzanne as she shared about the beginning of her teaching career and transitioning into teaching theater, as well as helping start a middle grades theater education program in Las Vegas. Also, we heard about Suzanne's work outside of classroom teaching as a teacher, educator, and researcher, eventually coming back to the classroom full-time 13 years later. Today, we round out Suzanne's narrative as it stands now with a conversation about her current work as a drama teacher in the early childhood education setting amidst the ongoing pandemic, including how her students created and performed silent films, exploring racial injustices in the film industry from back in the 1920s. It's a it's a it's an interesting story because right now in a way I've come full circle on that. Yeah. The K-12 classroom, which is a perfect place for me to be right now, uh, simply because it's even with the difficulties of the pandemic and everybody's stress levels in teaching being very high. Yeah. I'm having a lot of fun with the kids. Good. And it's an, in a way, it's a very new language for me. Even though initially when I received my certification in 1991, uh, (laughs) um, my initial certification was grades one, six, but aside from student teaching, I'd never worked with elementary students before. Um, My K-12 teaching was only in middle school and coming in now I'm working with very young children. I'm working yeah, well, my school is preschool through grade five. I'm really working with the younger segment right now since we have two drama teachers mm-hmm. and one works two five. I work preschool, pre-K, K and one right now. It's a new language and trying to find a language to discuss creative process with very young children is different than discussing it with 14 year olds. Gotcha. How long have you been in this current role now? Uh, Five years. So like, take me back to the first year where you transitioned. This would have been pre-pandemic, obviously. Yes. Like, what were some of the like, I don't want to call it culture shock because you're you've got a doctorate in this. You know what you're doing. But like when you get in there with them and you're like, okay, here we go. Like, what are some of those, I guess, language changes or approach changes that you made right away? Um. The first that I first talked to all of the teachers of the uh, very young, all the ECE teachers right. and said, it's been a while since I've been in the classroom other than supervising people at this level. Yeah. Can I come in and watch what you do first? And I built off of what I saw. And then the other thing I did was since they hadn't had um, a consistent drama, they've had drama, but different people filtered in and out. I decided they were all going to have one unifying friend in drama. And I got a big puppet. It's a puppy old English sheepdog. The kids have named him Zoomy. He has come to every early childhood drama class with me for the past 
few years. And as the kids age up and are in the upper elementary grades, if, if I don't have them anymore and I change or the school changes, which grades I teach throughout the years, I've had the early elementary, but I've gone up to fourth and fifth grade. Mm-hmm. If I don't have those students and they see Zoomy in the hall, they'll want to give Zoomy high fives. So Zoomy has become a unifying thread with all of the students. And it's also for the very young children, a focal point in the classroom. If they come in as three-year-olds or four-year-olds, I'm a random adult. And adults are big and they can be very scary. Yeah. But a big, fluffy, old English sheepdog puppet, well, you can hug that. You can tell every, you can go up and if you won't introduce yourself to the person, you'll definitely introduce yourself to the puppy dog. Mm -hmm. And that's the start. That's the connection. And from there, it becomes, oh, you, you know, how did Zoomy meet Dr. Suzanne? We go by first name. So how did Zoomy meet Dr. Suzanne? And they'll share this wonderful story about how Dr. Suzanne and Zoomy first met. And if you went to the park with Zoomy, what would you do? And someone, the kids will narrate a story and their friends will act it out. So Zoomy becomes the place where all of the children can start. And from there, you can springboard into all sorts of things, movement and discussion and rhyme and bringing in other rhymes and acting them out with Zoomy. And that's how you approach the craft. I I love how that idea of bringing them together from the outset, because like I did a few um, musicals in high school and like putting yourself out there at first, it can be very daunting, even at high school age, let alone being. Have you been able to bring back any performance type things kind of as we're nearing hopefully the other side of this pandemic? No live performances yet. What we did do, and this is, um, let's see, I teach at a EL expeditionary learning school. Mm-hmm. So we use the EL format. So we, and we do quite a bit of integration with arts and, and content areas. Every uh, I teach drama to all of my grades, but it's a one semester, two times a week format. And I flip flop with the art. So if I have the first graders first semester, I'll see them twice a week. And then the second semester, they'll go to art twice a week. Okay. And then music is once a week all year. Mm-hmm. So all three of the art forms are taught for the same amount of time. It's just just two of them are done in a semester twice a week. But each group that I have usually in the past prior to the pandemic has performed publicly at the end of the semester. Mm -hmm. That goes from preschool all the way through fifth grade. We haven't been able to do that for the pandemic. However, we've found different performance opportunities via Zoom. and So for first semester this year, I worked with my... um, with mime, which is what I uh, one of the things I usually do with first grade, but I threaded through a silent film. So we were watching silent film clips. Oh my gosh! And we were learning our mime and introduced the children to all sorts of a silent film. And by the end, I borrowed a lesson that somebody gave me online and did my own thing with it with her blessing but it's called the thing in the middle of the room (laughs) they were given and they said well 
Dr. Suzanne, what's the thing in the middle of the room? I said, that's for you and your partner to figure out. Oh my gosh. Yes. Whatever the thing is, you have to, it's not really going to be there. Mm -hmm. You have to show us what it is with your face and your body. You have to interact with it. You have to come up with a plan. And then I bring in the bear hunt. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. You can't go around it. You have to go through it. So you have to go through it, show that with your physicality. And then at the other end, you can have some sort of ending. Some of them had dance parties. Some of them collapsed with exhaustion. (laughs) But we filmed this in pairs. I uh, had the money in my budget. So everybody had the clear masks that had foam all the way around. So you can tighten them and they have foam around. Right. We can see their expressions. Yes. And we filmed them silent film, put a black and white filter in. I gave them their choice of music. So I put the music in the background and every duet of students or duo of students left with a silent film. Oh, we had one, we had one trio. (laughs) We had our our three boys Mm -hmm. had toilet paper floor to ceiling in the middle of the room. They karate chopped through it, but then they decided they couldn't leave it on the floor. So they had to pick it up. They put it in a toilet, flush the toilet and the toilet overflowed. So they had to run out of the room. That's hilarious. <laughs> that, is the, that is the first grade boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh, I was a first grade boy once. That makes sense to me. Yep. But we filmed these. Each of the first grade classrooms ended up with a full reel of anywhere from 12 to 16 of these so they could watch them if they had a movie day in their class. But each uh, duo or trio had their own reel that they were able to, that was sent home with them. That's And what kind of feedback did you get from families? Uh, my favorite one was the uh, inner city school. We have no parking at one of my school campuses. So I was walking back to where I parked my car yeah. and I had just crossed this very busy city intersection and there's this honking going on. And I finally located, I turn and I hear my name, Dr. Suzanne. Thank you so much. We Aww. loved the films and the kids and the family are waving through the window and I'm all the way across the street and everybody was like turned around what's going on but yeah um, considering we didn't have the live performances that we usually have and even those live performances they're classroom based so they're not duos or trios of students Mm -hmm. it's a very different thing when you have two or three students that are on film for a minute and a half to two minutes with their own creation yeah and I'm just filming it and I so love that they are creating it. It's like theirs. And oh. and there's yeah. it's so like very STEMI the way you're going about it, because they are like almost engineering in a way a piece that they're putting out to an authentic audience. And they That's can perceive that audience because you're filming it and sharing it. That's amazing. That that is the point. It's um it, in while we always have the performance, as I said, it's usually classroom based and it usually becomes the drama teacher sort of writing the script about what the students learned in their content area classes. It's good. It's, but it's what I call and what arts teachers call one way integration. It's the content area sort of imposing their standards on the arts area. What happened this time around is I was teaching the drama standards. We did touch on what their expedition was in social studies, which uh, the first graders 
of, in a very timely way and a very age appropriate way, we're talking about activism. And this is a this is an inner city D.C. school. Right. Um, but they were talking about activism in their classrooms. After a while, the students sort of came up to me and they pulled, you know, pulled out my sleeve and said, Dr. Suzanne, these clips don't have a lot of people who look like me. And right. And I nodded my head and I said, yeah. Is there a word for that? Sure is. And they and first grade, by the, you know, pulling on the vocabulary. Said, yeah, that's that's it's it's not equal. I said, well, come on, what's the, what's the other word? And they they had inequitable and said, OK, when did we talk about uh, the origin of these movies? What was the date that these movies were made? And they remembered they're all 100 years old. Right. OK, the place where these movies were made in the United States was called Hollywood. And in the 1920s, Hollywood was not very diverse and it definitely was not equitable. And they were able to sort of process this. And I said, but there were some people even back then that were trying to change that. Is there a word for that? And they were very excited. They said, yes, those are activists. Yeah. I said, hmm, do you think it would be a good idea? And I granted, I admit, I engineered this with the first grade teacher. <laughs> Do you think it would be a good idea for me to bring in examples of those activists that wanted to make Hollywood in the 1920s more equitable? Oh, yes. Please bring them in. Did you know we're talking about this in our other class? No way. <laughs> really? Well, I'll bring some examples. And that's how I taught first graders about Paul Robeson. And we were able to see a few silent film clips of Paul Robeson. Granted, we didn't see the full clips because the the movies that Paul Robeson were made that were silent films that were Oscar Michaud movies were just well, they were adult movies. They the content would not interest children. Right. Um, it, just the same. And the way we explain that, are there movies that your grownups watch that you just think are totally boring? And they're like, yes. I said, that's the equivalent here. Um, but they saw clips from them and then you go into Paul Robeson's history where you have an African-American male who went to uh, Rutgers and played football and then got into Columbia law and played professional football at the same time, was a practicing lawyer, but also sang. And when he discovered he can make more money singing than he couldn't practice law at the time, started, went to Hollywood or he also played Othello internationally. Um, and the kids are just amazed. But he also worked with Oscar Michaud to try and open up, while they were never going to open up the Hollywood system, Oscar Michaud and Robeson, they ran a studio where they wrote films for black actors that portrayed black actors the way that white actors would be portrayed in mm -hmm. film, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything was there. And they controlled the uh, not the scripts, the filming and the distribution. Talked about this with the kids. And said, so it's been going on for a long time. Yes. And in Hollywood, too. And they had the connection to their content area in a way that was very natural, that took advantage of the standards in the content area and the art standards right. because they were engaged in the art form and 
their drama class. And all of a sudden we had two-way integration and hopefully we'll start using that for a model in the school as we go into our live performances again, looking more at two-way integration than just one way in the future. And you're situating everything in a way that's authentic to them on like a cultural level, which yes. it's so great to hear stories like that still happening, considering different state legislatures trying to <laughs> stifle that right now, Georgia yes. included, where I'm seated right now. Um, but you're looking at it from a historical standpoint and they can never erase the history. We can still teach the history. In some ways, because I am in D.C., we're very much shielded from that. You are. Yeah. With the with the exception of Glenn Rothman, who I mentioned, I think I mentioned we talk, I was rereading our transcript yeah. from our Facebook chat. Yeah. Who, who tried to uh, come into D.C. from Wisconsin, tried to come into D.C. That's just the reality of D.C. Any any member of Congress can try and impose their will on D.C. because while well, we have self-rule. Not quite, (laughs) but he tried to come in with an anti-CRT bill and nobody was biting on it because they said in D.C. there would be no way to enforce it whatsoever because this is being taught in the schools. Right. Our schools are predominantly children of color. Yeah. Um, Zumi, how integral was Zumi when kids were coming back from virtual to face to face? Because I, I see I see in the schools how much they're struggling right now with kind of learning how to be in school again amongst people. <laughs> Zumi, Zumi was, was a star on the um, on the Zoom screen. Oh, yeah. I didn't name He was named by the kids his first year. So he wasn't named. We didn't even know about Zooms at that point. As, as a as as a means of uh, that's such foreshadowing, though, that I would have assumed it oppositely. That's crazy. In March of 2020, we went home. We hugged our kids goodbye, figuring we were going to be back in two weeks. And we weren't. Um, I brought Zumi home with me. And what our school decided to do in March of 2020 was virtual. The arts teachers weren't going to have synchronous instruction. We would put up movies virtually. And if families wanted to engage with them, they could. They just figured it was going to be too much of a lift with academics. They being the administration of the school. So basically the arts became optional. But Zumi helped me create a lot of those movies. And then in the fall, when we came back, all virtual instructions, our teachers met with their students. And Zumi would come to um, all, Zumi came to all of my classes all the way through four, I think all the way through fourth grade. But the very young children, the preschool and the pre-Ks, they still only had optional play date types of meetings with the arts teachers. Again, they didn't want to overload the new parents. We already knew that with the preschool children, the three-year-olds, this was going to be their first introduction to school. Their norm was going to be Zoom school. And that, you know, think of think of the leap for us as adults there. Well, Zoomy came to all of the classes with me. As we transitioned this year into live teaching, the pre-Ks, when they saw me, they didn't remember my name. They knew Zoomy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That really does a lot for one's ego. (laughs) (laughs) No idea who this grown-up is, but the puppet, we know. Mm -hmm. 
But Zoom became the pre-Ks, the four-year-olds and the kindergartners. That was their link to something they had done online. So that hurdle was overcome. That's really cool. Again, kind of that's that safe space kind of making it accessible again to them. That's a that's a cool. I'm glad I asked about that. I would. I, yeah. I'm glad I asked about that. These pieces of Suzanne's narrative exemplify the power of the arts and arts integration. Given that we dug into that already on a previous Dr. Katz episode, I will instead unpack the social justice and history connections Suzanne described in her silent film unit of study. Across the United States, many states are proposing and enacting new legislation to silence the discussion of systemic, historically embedded racism that persists in this country today, banning books that tell the stories of diverse others whom the dominant majority deems to be offensive, and so forth. Suzanne's silent film unit is remarkable in that the students create and perform their own silent films and explored the history of African-Americans in silent films and the film industry. To silence present enduring systemic racism is to acknowledge it has existed in the past. And Suzanne's students pursued this line of thinking very well, asking questions and identifying inequities of the past. This can help them problem pose to borrow a phrase from Paulo Freire in the present despite legislation, bans, and denials from state governments. I want to thank Suzanne for sharing her stories of teaching on this podcast. You can follow Suzanne on Twitter at SCATEDU. Next week, we will explore the narrative of Dr. Sean Cruzen. Sean is a fellow colleague here at Columbus State University. He serves as the executive director of the Coca-Cola Space Science Center and is a professor in the Department of Earth and Space Sciences. Sean also appears each week on the Made of Stars podcast. My contact information is in the episode description. This is Journeys of Teaching. I'm Aaron R. Gearhart, and thank you for listening.